Who are the hyperscalers? And is their increasing dominance of the technology market reason to be fearful? My name is Matt Hatton. This is The Wireless Noodle, your weekly guide to the impact of disruptive new technologies on business. A lot spoken about the FANG companies, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix and Google, and how they dominate consumer media, comms and internet services. Personally, I find them a bit too diverse a bunch to really think of collectively. Netflix is tiny by comparison to Apple. Why not include Spotify or Rakuten in Japan, for instance? It's a bit like the obsession a few years ago with the BRIC countries, Brazil, Russia, India and China as if Argentina, Indonesia, Vietnam and so forth can just be ignored. But I digress. In this episode, I don't want to think about the FANG companies and what they're doing for consumers, but what the equivalent is for businesses. There are a set of so-called hyperscalers or web scalers, if you prefer, which are starting to expand from their original positions, generally in cloud hosting, to try to dominate the means of delivering enterprise services and ultimately the actual enterprise services themselves. There are three main companies that I want to consider here, Microsoft, Amazon and Google. And one might also throw in Alibaba as a Chinese equivalent. That leaves us with the rather unfortunate MAGA acronym though, which I understand is already taken. So let's stick with calling them hyperscalers. There are a few other areas where other companies like IBM and Facebook also look a bit like these MAGA companies. Now I'm going to stop using the acronym now. So let's keep the term broad. Particularly the biggest question for most technology markets today is what's the long-term strategy of these companies, particularly those three big companies, and will they eat my lunch? In this podcast, I suspect I won't be able to categorically answer that question, but I think it's worth delving into where these hyperscalers come from, who are they, What do they want? What perhaps is the ultimate end goal of what they're attempting to achieve? What do we mean by hyperscalers? Originally, the term came from the operation of very large scale data centers with thousands of servers, hence hyperscale. That would have included the likes of Amazon, Apple, Facebook and Google, which built massive data centers initially to support their own products and services. Then some of them diversified into renting space in those data centers and into other associated services. Take Amazon Web Services, AWS, for instance. While on its way to becoming the world's biggest e-retailer, Amazon also built, out of necessity, a huge amount of competence in databases, compute, storage, and in running scalable data centers in a cost-effective manner. It was necessary to suit their low-margin business model. So it was a natural step to move on to providing those infrastructure services to third parties. It then became self-reinforcing, with AWS building further infrastructure and developing additional competencies in order to support an expanding set of clients for its cloud storage. It's interesting to look at the latest quarterly revenue. In that, AWS accounted for 12.1% of Amazon's total revenue. 
and also interestingly, accounted for the majority of the company's operating income. The term hyperscaler, therefore, comes from the physical data centre asset. But today it's much more. Not least because the provision of compute and storage is not just about massive cloud data centres. Let's take a step back and think about the rise of cloud. Historically, everyone stored their data on-premises in their own servers or some equivalent, possibly with a backup located somewhere nearby. On the outskirts of the little village where I grew up was the headquarters of a big insurance company. Obviously, they had lots of records to store and they had an off-site backup. Specifically, they bought the nearby house, about 100 metres up a leafy lane from their site, and turned it into an off-site backup. Every so often, you could see someone wheeling a cart full of what I guess was magnetic tapes up the lane to deposit them in the house. Kind of makes sense, although I'm not sure today's resiliency planning experts would think that much of it. Over the last 15 or 20 years, one of the defining trends of ICT has been the shift of enterprises and consumers for that matter with iCloud and OneDrive, to take advantage of the availability of common shared data centres. They provide much cheaper, scalable and resilient resources. By now, most companies have probably made the leap from on-premises hosting to cloud hosting. The last couple of years, though, have seen something of a shift to the edge. If you're working in tech, you can't have avoided the term edge computing over the last few years. Central data storage is already well, but for some applications, you need your processing and data storage near to the application. The round trip delays of interrogating a central server hundreds or even thousands of kilometers away is just too much for some applications. The most often quoted is artificial intelligence, which may need to make real time decisions. Another is ARVR, augmented reality, virtual reality, where the sheer volume of data that needs to be sent and received effectively rules out storage in a central server, at least while the speed of light still applies as a limitation. There's also a residual demand for some customers, typically in industrial applications, to continue with an on-premise capability, often for resilience. All of this means that any company wanting to provide cloud services probably also needs an edge strategy, with edge meaning maybe the edge device or the customer premises, or even a helpful spot quite close to the customer, such as the edge of the network, like a mobile base station site. Either way, there's more complexity to effectively supporting clients now than there was five years ago. When I use the hyperscaler term, I'm using it as a shorthand for a small group of very large companies that were originally cloud hosting providers that seek to apply massive scale to supplying storage and compute services to the enterprise market. But they're more than that. Because of the need to support both cloud and edge, increasingly these organisations are looking at how they can stitch those two pieces together, i.e. through network services. Also, it's impossible to ignore the fact that all four of Alibaba, Amazon, Google and Microsoft has other enterprise products and services way beyond just cloud and edge. There are two trends there to unpick. One about how you connect the edge with the cloud with the customer premises, and the other around the impact that it has on other services. And that's what I want to dig into in this podcast. Of the two issues that I mentioned, let's tackle the network services piece first, i.e. the network that connects the customer, cloud, 
and edge together. In episode three of the podcast, I talked about the idea of separation, innovation, explosion. The idea that if you separate the hardware and software elements of a technology field, then it tends to encourage lots of innovation. Specifically, I talked about it in the context of telecoms networks, which is particularly relevant here. In episode six, I talked about 5G and how the much reduced latency creates an interesting changing dynamic for how services are delivered, encouraging more processing to take place not on the device or in the central data center, but at the edge of the network. These developments are of particular interest to hyperscalers like AWS and Microsoft, who've shown a lot of interest recently in the world of telecoms. Recent acquisitions from Microsoft of Affirm Networks and Metaswitch Networks, for instance, point to an aggressive approach towards developing new telecommunication services in a newly disaggregated world. And both they and others, including AWS, have been bolstering their edge offerings. In a recent Transformer Insights report called The Network New Normal, How Web Scalers Are Gearing Up to Take Advantage of 5G Edge Computing and Network Disaggregation, I looked at the development from the perspectives of the likes of Amazon Web Services, Google, Microsoft and Rakuten, how they've been catalysts for this change and how they might benefit. This is the age-old story of technology evolution shifting the playing field, creating new opportunities and threats. The web scale company's interest is obvious. They want greater control over delivery of their services to enterprises. Microsoft has been the most active in pursuing the opportunities presented by this network new normal, as I've described it, establishing a strong position to innovate on new networking and edge services. The AWS approach has been more focused on working with telecommunications network operators, although its IoT offering is still somewhat competitive. In our recent communication service provider IoT peer benchmarking report, we dug quite a lot into the extent to which Verizon and others were establishing very close relationships with hyperscalers to build edge capabilities at Verizon sites. Google is even more focused on being a supplier rather than competitor to the network operators in terms of enterprise services. This rather reflects its lack of an enterprise offering. However, its focus on supporting cloud-based delivery of products from existing vendors to existing service providers is interesting, if a little one-dimensional, and risks missing out on the opportunity presented by these new developments. The company that seems to be doing the most to single-handedly blur the boundaries is Rakuten, being at once a mobile network operator, cloud services provider, and telecommunications software vendor, as well as being a substantial e-commerce player. Substantial changes are coming to telecommunications networks, how services are delivered, and by whom. We're just at the start of the shift to the network new normal. As part of the shift, network disaggregation and virtualization increasingly blurs the lines between the traditional roles of infrastructure provider, network operator, and cloud services provider. At the same time, the delivery of network services is seeing a big change, becoming much more distributed courtesy of edge computing and 5G. These trends present opportunities and threats for all parties, but most likely creates the biggest headache for infrastructure vendors. Network operators will have to trade carefully to avoid web scalers dominating the market for provision of enterprise services. Consolidation, particularly involving players in different elements of the value chain, can only increase. In this one sector, telecommunications and the associated networks, we can see that there's tremendous value for these hyperscalers in being able to connect together their edge offerings with their cloud offerings. 
As such, they have a strong vested interest in being telecommunications service providers of some form or other. With the telecommunications industry currently going through this separation part of separation, innovation, explosion, we can see that there's tremendous opportunity for those hyperscalers to get into this sector, shake things up, create additional services that help them to deliver those edge services to their end customers, and indeed cloud services. The telecommunications industry is in, perhaps, for a rocky time. But what will come out of the end is probably a much more effective set of integrated services for an enterprise customer. Interesting times in telecoms. Clearly, the need to connect and manage the relationship between cloud and edge assets and the customer is important. But let's not forget that these hyperscaler organizations have a much wider portfolio of products and services. Ultimately, one must assume that the goal is to be the dominant provider in all sorts of enterprise products. Take Microsoft, for instance. Its Azure offering is just a small element of what it might ultimately deliver to enterprise end users. It's got extensive offerings in communications, enterprise resource planning, customer relationship management, collaboration, productivity tools, not least the office suite, and automation. Let's also not forget that it's the proud owner of LinkedIn and GitHub communities, both of which offer substantial opportunities for turning into enterprise service platforms in some way in the future. LinkedIn, for instance, is already used extensively for HR and sales purposes, and it's easy to see how it might be integrated into software specific to recruitment or CRM. Beyond that, it may even be used for market intelligence, using the hive mind of LinkedIn, or perhaps for targeted consulting. For instance, offering Office 365 users the opportunity to tap up a specialist in a field in which they're interested. The opportunities are almost endless. And then turning to Google, it has three quarters of the handset OS market share and two thirds of the browser market. In terms of the ways that people, both enterprise and consumers, interact with the world, Google is generally involved. It also has a set of enterprise software or a set of software that can be used by enterprises in the form of Google Docs, albeit far behind Microsoft. Amazon, which really set the ball rolling, is the one that as yet lacks this kind of position in the enterprise market. Alexa for Business and Amazon Work Docs haven't exactly grabbed the business world by the short and curlies. It has managed to steal a march on the others for some consumer hardware, courtesy of Echo, but for enterprises, it's still struggling. All of the three companies I focus on here have been active in developing capabilities for IoT as well, recognising that these are just really another extension of the cloud to edge paradigm. The IoT device is the ultimate edge location. AWS has green grass, free RTOS and so on. Similarly, Microsoft has IoT plug and play. What's interesting here is that this is another example of the separation of hardware and software layers with Microsoft or AWS software enhancing arguably replacing that of the industrial application. I should also mention AI. All three of these companies are sinking substantial amounts of money into developing capabilities there. But it's worth stressing that AI is not an end in itself. 
it exists to serve the types of applications I've already mentioned. For instance, natural language processing for search or automation for a lot of business processes across applications, business services, operating system and hardware, as well as cloud and edge, and probably network services in future. These three, plus about half a dozen others for various different of the constituent elements of these service offerings, will increasingly dominate end-to-end the delivery of enterprise services, as well as also increasingly the services themselves. It feels like we're in for a much more concentrated business services environment. Companies that today are in a relatively strong position, such as Oracle, SAP and Salesforce, for enterprise software had better watch their backs. In this episode, we focus mostly on the enterprise market and enterprise services. But it would be wrong to assume that all of this movement by these organisations is solely focused on the enterprise opportunity. By ramping up their edge capabilities, Microsoft, Google and Amazon may be able to steal a march on their competitors in both gaming and personal computing. Lower latency means a better experience for Xbox Live or Stadia. It also potentially allows Surface or even Chromebook to gain ground on Apple products. By shifting processing out of the device and to the edge, Microsoft, for instance, could provide a superior experience, for instance, content storage and sharing, and lower cost, for instance, by reducing storage or processing capacity on the device. The PC as a dumb terminal hasn't exactly taken off in the past as a concept, but with edge processing, Microsoft or Amazon or Google may have the opportunity to turn the tables on Apple. Let's face it, all three companies have been looking for the next technology paradigm shift that might mean its ability to break Apple's dominance. And this could be it. In next week's podcast, I'm going to be sticking with talking about technology vendors. But whereas this week I've been talking about fantastically successful and enormous companies, what I want to dig into next week is those that haven't quite made the grade. Where have technology vendors failed? What are some of the strategic reasons why they haven't done well in their selected markets? I hope you can join me. Links to some of the research that I've been referring to in this week's show, as well as the transcript of the recording, will be available on the podcast website at wirelessnoodle.com. Thank you for joining me. I've been Matt Hatton, and you've been listening to The Wireless Noodle. Thank you for listening to The Wireless Noodle. If you'd like to learn more about the research that I do on IoT, AI and more, you can follow me on Twitter at Matty Hatton and you can check out transformerinsights.com. That's transformer with an A.